some passages shine brightly almost no matter when you read it, no matter what your circumstances are. Some you don't get, you know, they just, you, from a different vantage point, but some passages are just amazing every time. And those passages are, are such ama so amazing that typically we commit those to memory. And so this morning, this will be one of those passages. I'm not going to say that this is my favorite verse of Scripture, because there, the verses that I love are so many and so varied that it would be impossible to put down as one favorite. But this verse is so special to me that if someone asked me to sign like their yearbook or their memory book or something like that, this is the verse that I always sign above my name. Most of you can quote it. If not, you'll read it with me this morning. Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 20. Read it or quote it along with me. I don't typically do that, but since so many of you know this, read it or quote it along with me. Galatians 2.20. Here we go. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Most of you know this verse. In reference to this morning, do you remember the story of Gideon's army? Gideon is told to assemble an army to go fight the Midianites. And so when the army assembles, there are 30,000 of them. And the Lord says to them, the army is too big. You need to reduce the number. So he says to them, to Gideon, tell everybody that's scared to go home. So when Gideon makes this announcement, 20,000 of them leave. That is a significant reduction in his army. He has 10,000 now. And Gideon says, okay, well, let's go fight. And the Lord says, no, your army's still too big. So we're going to reduce their number again. We're going to let them go down to the river and drink. And when they go down there and drink, if they get down on their all fours and drink like a dog lapping water out of the water, out of the river, then you put them in one category. If they go down, they dip it out with their hand and drink out of their hand like that, put them in another and so the 300 who drink out of their hand are in one, one group, 9,700 are in the other group. Now, if you were Gideon, you know which group you're hoping gets to stick around, and it's not that group. Gideon's left with the 300, and the Lord says, I'm going to use the 300 to do the work that needs to be done. Now, in a weird sort of way, that's how I feel about this verse. The truths are so deep and they spread out in so many different directions, it seems like an impossible task to cover all of it. So if we start reducing the numbers, if we would divide it in half, I'd say, man, there is still no way to cover this verse. If we get it down to just four words, you might say, well, that's a mighty small sliver out of a whole verse. But I'm to, here to tell you it's still a lot to chew. And if the Lord please, the Holy Spirit will take it and it'll be more than enough to accomplish the work that needs to be done in your heart and in my heart this morning. Our four words, which are the title of this morning's message, not I, but Christ. 
not I, but Christ. Let's pray. For, Lord, who is sufficient for these things? Surely not us. Not in the speaking or in the hearing, but you are sufficient for these things. And we ask that you would do your work. Lord, you wrote these words not so they could just remain in this book, not so that we could just read them and think good thoughts, but, Father, that they would shake us to our very foundation, point us to Thee, and conform us to our Savior. For we ask this in His precious, holy name. Amen. Not I, but Christ. And these four little words are contained the secrets of the universe, the secrets of the Christian life, the answer to all of life's situations. They, can, they contain the definition and description of all eternity. In four little words, it's, they stretch out to before the beginning and to after the end, whatever we would think in that, it doesn't seem like it's possible that such a small phrase could say so much. But my friend, it's the truth. Now let's see if we can, by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, understand some of this particular truth. So first we'll look backward in time, and then we'll look forward in time at the end to see how these four words contain so much. Not I, but Christ. Number one, if you keep notes on these kind of things, I didn't make myself, Christ did. I did not make myself, Christ did. You realize that down through the centuries, men, scientists, have spent countless hours and an unfathomable amount of money trying to unlock the secrets of space and discover the origins of the universe. They have built telescopes, they have built satellites, and all other things so they could peer out into space. They have dug great holes in the ground trying to find the depths, looking for clues. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, I am not opposed to this type of exploration. Because of it, from those things, advances come in technology that make our lives just that much more convenient. But if their purpose is to discover the origins of our existence, they're searching for something that we already know. Only they don't like the answer. So they're looking for something that will contradict what we already know to be true. If God created mankind, then mankind is subject to him. He is in charge, not us. No man does not want to accept that state of affairs. So he searches the globe and he searches outer space for something he would have to admit that God is over him that will justify his rebellion against that particular fact. Theory other than evolution. It is just too full of holes, and it's too this he's not willing to do. Now, I personally do not dabble much in the... He develops 
alternate theories and suppositions disconnected with reality to be believed by anybody unless they be disproving or debunking of evolution. I know enough science missions and declares them to be fact, even though he has no evidence of and or just needs something to believe other than God being in charge. You can present myself to know that even if I did not believe that God created the world, I would have to search for some other theory or proof because to otherwise state the fact, it would mean fact after fact after fact after fact to debunk evolution to any person to no avail. Because the problem is not in their mind, the problem is in their heart. They want to refuse the fact of God's dominance, the God's creation, because that is who they would be subject to if they admitted it. But when a person comes to Christ, it is no longer a problem with evolution, because the problem has been solved in their heart. It's all been resolved. Man would like to believe that his existence on this planet is purely by chance. If man is a product, make, let you, make, force your mind to come up to, to follow this thought process. If man is here by product of evolution, some ginormous explosion, which doesn't make any sense to me, creates life on a planet, which is, makes no sense to me, and this little tiny life is actually made on a perfect planet that's in perfect balance, and this one little life that got created by explosion now is dividing itself out and creates this perfectly balanced world that we live in, which doesn't make any sense. But say that it all did that, and now we've evolved and created and made, and da, da, now we're us. What does that do? We are at the top of the food chain. We are God. That's what it means. And that's why it's believed. Because to take God and put him there puts us here. And man does not desire that. So, he believes in these other things. We would like to believe that we are a product of an amazing accident. But it simply isn't true. Not I, but Christ. I did not make myself. I am not the outcome of billions of years of improving myself. I am a direct creation of God. In speaking of Jesus Christ, John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Again, speaking of Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And Ecclesiastes reminds us, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Not I but Christ, it unlocks this, the, all of our past. I did not make myself. Christ did. Not I, but Christ. Number two, I did not save myself. Christ did.
I did not save myself. Christ did. It is in the heart of man to want to be on top. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be in control. If he can't be in charge, then he at least wants to help. He wants some of the credit. He wants partial responsibility. He does not want to be helpless. Nowhere in man's life is it more evident than his eternal destiny. You know, some men will go as far as, it, as they can to deny that there is something beyond this life. Because if they can do so, then no help is needed by him. That's all there is, and there's nothing else. So he doesn't need any help. If this thing's going to end right now, at the end of my life, and it's all over with, I don't need any help. I'll just do what I do, and that's good. Some men will go so far as to say that. In order to do so, you must short-circuit something within. Because the, and the average person is not willing to do that. The average person knows intrinsically this isn't all there is. There is something beyond this life. There is more to this. And most people are not willing to short-circuit something that they know to be true within. They know that they must live someplace forever. And they know that sin has a part of this. Ignoring the fact that there is an eternity doesn't do anybody any good. It can't be the, that, and ignoring sin cannot work. It's, there's going to be a problem here. We know that sin is going to have some effect on what the future life is. Failures in this life cannot be favorable in the next. We automatically know this on the inside. The existence of heaven and hell or something similar is something that we intrinsically know because God made us that way. And therefore, we know that sin must be dealt with. So what does man do about this? Trying to maintain his own selfness, he devises ways of dealing with sin. We call them primarily in our world religion. We do something. We do something good. We do something that will appease God. Whether it be religion or charities or a system of good works, a man will do something to try to deal with his sin. Why? Because he knows intrinsically there is an eternity some, of some form, and he knows that what we do in this life affects the next. So he devises his own plan. But this is not the answer. Even when a man hears the plan of salvation that God has put forth, what is that plan of salvation? That Jesus Christ, God the Son, would come to earth. He would be born in a human body. He would live perfectly a sinless life. He took our sin upon himself and bore them to the cross and died as a substitute in your place. He was buried and three days later, he rose from the dead, God the Father signifying that your sin debt was paid. Even when we hear this, which is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our sins dealt with at the cross, even when a person hears this, they will still try to help out. 
they do not want to just leave it all to God, so they try to be a part, a pl part of the plan that he put in place. They will try to add baptism to it. They will try to add good works to it. They will try to do anything that they can think of to give some credit to themselves in this plan. But my friends, it doesn't work that way. Not I, but Christ. It is only when I see myself entirely bankrupt. It is only when I understand that I can do absolutely nothing. It is only when I am devoid of any hope within myself that I am ready to be saved. I simply accept the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's totally 100% Him. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. I am a beggar in the street. I'm as helpless as a newborn baby. I come to Christ and He saves me. Not I, but Christ. I did not create myself. He did. I do not save myself. He does. Now, most of the people in this room understand both of those truths completely. And depending on your personality, you will either say a hearty amen with your voice or very quietly in your mind. Because, okay, we just don't like to put ourselves out like that. But you, in your heart, even without your voice, in your heart you say, amen, I believe that. God created me, I didn't create myself. And amen, I believe that. Jesus Christ, it's all him, it's not I, but Christ. He did all the saving. I was helpless. He saved me. But our desire to make good, our desire to be in charge of our own destiny, our desire to at least get some of the credit, dies very hard. And sometimes, I think we could say oftentimes, a Christian, who in order to be a Christian actually understands that he didn't make or save himself, fails to understand not I, but Christ, he fails to let that dominate his life and literally define it. The Christian life is defined by not I, but Christ. Get your mind to wrap around that. You've already said amen to, I didn't make myself, I didn't save myself. Now force your brain into this realm the Christian life is literally defined by not I, but Christ. Number three, I am not in charge of my own life. Christ is. I am not in charge of my own life. Christ is. Let's look at our verse in the light of all these things. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can it be any plainer than this? I am not in charge of my own life. Jesus Christ is. I do not get to set the goals. I do not get to chart the course. I do not get to define success. 
I do not get to make the plans. I do not set the terms. It is not I, but Christ. What does that mean? It means that he sets the goals. It means that he makes the plans. It means that he charts the course. It means that he sets the terms. It means he defines what success is in my life. Now, let me open up my world to you and let you see what I say, hear what I say, and then convert it into your own world, the way your thoughts work. I don't think that you'll have any difficulty doing this. You'll understand what I'm saying, and you'll be able to translate it how that translates into your life. I have pastored here since 1989. It's the only job that I ever really had. After I got out of college, it's the only job I've ever really had. Is that success? Hmm. <laughs> don't answer my question, all right? <laughs> I don't think anybody brought tomatoes and left them outside. I'd get my answer forthwith. Um, convert that into your own life. Can I say that since I've been here since 1989, I've kept this job for, since 1989, is that success? If I would quit this line of work and go out and start a company and make $10 billion next year, would that be success? If I put out my resume and find a pastorate in a larger church in an up-and-coming part of another city, would that be success? If I stay here and work until I die, will that be success? If in my own personal life or my own personal hobby, I do some amazing thing, reach some amazing goal or accomplish some amazing feat, will that be success? Now, I think you can see the, these questions in my life, and I think with any thought process, you can translate those to the, your own questions in your own life. Just because you've lived where you're at and done the job that you're doing, or you have this position, or if you'd quit and go do something else, what would be success? It's all so confusing, some say, the definition of this. Not at all. Not I, but Christ. It's not confusing at all. What is success in this life? It's very simple. Not I, but Christ. Well, what does that mean? Success is knowing and doing the will of God. He defines success in my life. If I go and would try to find a church where I could pastor that would be bigger than this one in a bigger spot, would that be success? Only if he defines it that way. If I quit this job and do something else and become a pauper, is that success? Only if he defines it that way. If I stay here till I'm dead, does that define success? Only if he defines it that way. I don't make the plans. I don't set the goal. I don't chart the course. It is not I, but Christ. 
anything outside the definition of his success, no matter how good it makes you feel or no matter how much you enjoy it, is not success. And anything that you do, even if others who look at it and say, what a waste, is the definition of success if that is what he so wishes. It is not I but Christ. I am not in charge of my own life. He is. Now, sometimes we have some misunderstandings about the will of God. Sometimes it seems like, well, that's easy, or it's uncomplicated, or it's really basic. My friend, none of that is true. Let me give it to you on the ground floor here. If you see the will of God in your life and you think you can accomplish it, you have not found it. It's as simple as that. If you see what you think God has planned for you and you think you can get there, you have not found it. It is so far beyond that. What God wills for you is so far above what you are capable of, so far of what you are able to accomplish, so far beyond your means to accomplish it. If you look at it and don't say, there's no way, then you haven't found it. When you find the will of God for your life, you're going to say, there is no possible way for me to do that. Why? Because that is what God has planned for you. And his will is not something that you personally can accomplish. It's going to be beyond your ability. Why? Because it's not you, but him. You've got to get this into your mind. It is not I, but Christ. Let me give you kind of a short list underneath this. It's not I, but Christ. It is not your wisdom, but his. Look, you do not know how to accomplish his will. You do not have the answers to the questions. You do not know what to do in each situation. You do not have a, have a clue on what situation, what solution to the situation is even possible. You do not know the who, the what, the when, the why, and the how. In fact, the matter is, most of the time, you don't even know what the question is. You realize that? You don't even know what the question is. It's not I but Christ. It's not your wisdom, it's his. It is not your power, but his. How can you create the circumstances that you need? How can you remove the obstacles that are in your way? How can you bring about the events that must be brought about? You don't know how to do it. You don't have the, the, if you knew how to do it, you couldn't do it because you don't have the power to do it. Not I, but Christ. It's simple. It's not your power, it's his. I could spend the next three days giving illustration after illustration after illustration of where this happens and how it has happened in, that I have seen. You say, that can't happen, and it does. It wasn't me that did it. It wasn't you that did it. Who did it? God. He just moves this stuff like the Red Sea. You say, there's no way to get across this. And God says, oh, it's easy. 
You have no It's not your power, my friend. It's not your wisdom. It's his. It is not I, but Christ. It is the definition of our life. It's not our power. It's not our wisdom, but his. It's not your work, but his. Let me give you a real helpful thought here. God's will is not, here's what you have to do. I'll see you at the judgment seat of Christ. Make sure you account for it. This is what you got to do. Make sure it's done when you show up to, for judgment. It isn't that at all, my friend. Because what he is giving you to do, he knows is beyond you, far beyond you. It is his work, and he keeps his hand in it all the time. You are his workmanship, and he keeps his hand on you all the time. It's his work, it's always his work, and he never gives up any part of it. It's not you, but him. It's his work. You say, I don't know how I could ever... You don't have to know how. It's his work. You just have to take the position he's put you in. Not I, but Christ. It is his work. And he doesn't just leave you to do it. He doesn't expect you to do it on your own. It's not your work, but his, and he's going to accomplish it through you. Now let's finish our discussion with a look at right now and for the future. Depending if you're taking notes, depending on how you wrote your outline, this would actually be point number four, not including the subpoints that we just mentioned. If yours are different, don't worry about it. Point number four, not I but Christ. I don't get the glory, he does. I don't get the glory, he does. It is a very human thing to seek the praise of men. It is part of our makeup to try to take credit for any little thing that happens. Even if we're only a little small part of it, you want to take a little bit of credit. I will not ask this morning how many of you have ever thought when they were giving out an award, I wonder if I should get a little piece of that. I won't ask you for that because I know that every hand here that was honest would say, well, I kind of thought that maybe I should have got a little part of that. I should have got a little credit in that whole event. Okay, it was this huge thing and I only gave two seconds, but I should have got at least a mention on it. It's the way that we work. But my friend, that's not the way this works. Take that thought and throw it on the trash heap of your life and recognize the truth. In anything positive in my life, it was not I but Christ. It wasn't my brains. It wasn't my plans. It wasn't my iron will. It wasn't my great personality. It wasn't my hard work. I may have used all those to make a great mess on my own, and I have done that. But when God does something through me, there is no place or room for me to take bows. It was not I, but Christ. Now, let's be really honest here. I think it is pretty clear. I think we would all get on the same page on this. In the book of Revelation 4 and 5, which happens to be some of my favorite passages of Scripture, Revelation 4 and 5, where we have Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, 
picture, it's a, it's a little snapshot of heaven. And I think all of us can see ourselves there in that environment, Christ sitting on the throne. We see ourselves, the four and twenty elders are bowing, the angels are bowing, we're all singing, worthy is the Lamb, thou art worthy, holy, holy, holy. I think we can all look at that picture of heaven and say, I see that. And I don't think anybody here would say, you know, if when, in that scene, I'm going to try to sneak to the front, <laughs> get up on the stage and say, and by the way, me too. I did this. If that happens to you, let me know about that because I don't want to be anywhere close to you during, <laughs> during that event, all right? I, that's just, I don't think anybody here would say, oh, that's me. All of us understand there is Jesus Christ and there's the rest of us all together with no difference. I think that is really clear, I think, in everybody's mind. But what's the difference between then, then and now? What's the difference? It is not I, but Christ. That all seems pretty clear, but sometimes it gets a little fuzzy in the present. We seek a little personal recognition. We get a little, the old-fashioned word is irked. We get a little irked when we don't get recognized. We would like a little praise for our trouble, thank you very much. We don't want all of the credit, but just our fair share of the credit. My friends, mark it down in black and white. Paint it across the front doors of the church and hang a banner up on top of this platform. There is only one hero here, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The rest of us are all, and I mean all, in our faces in the dust. Where any praise is concerned, it is not I but Christ. It is not that we just have this truth that we hold. It is the living reality of our lives. Not I, but Christ. We look up and we see our Savior, and we know that apart from our sin and our failures, everything that we have and everything we are is due to Jesus Christ. I say this every time I speak on this subject as a testament to my friend Cal Wilson. Cal Wilson, I used to go to see him. He was a shut-in in the church. He was hardly attended here when I became pastor. Um, he was, was shut-in at that point. But every time I'd go to see him, he'd always say the same thing. He got saved later in his life. He'd say, always say the same thing. He says, all my life I thought I was doing all this myself. He says, and I look back, and he said, all the time, it was God who was doing it. It was God the whole time. I was trying to take bows myself, but it was God the entire time. My friend, it is not I, but Christ. And wherever praise is concerned, that should be our mantra. From beginning to end, it's the way that it is. I did not create myself. He did. I did not save myself. He does. I did not change my life. I'm not in charge of my life. He is. I don't get the glory. He does. In these four simple words, we find the secret of the universe and the secret of our very own life.
not I, but Christ. Let's pray.